0: grab your bibles and turn to john chapter 10 uh children you'll be staying in the service this morning no children's church today john chapter 10 while you're turning there i want you to think about this last month how many of you can rate if you'll raise your hand if you participated in a white elephant gift exchange this this uh month this year in the month of december okay how many of you have ever uh participated in a white elephant gift exchange yeah number of you okay well, uh, this month, a uh, bunch of pastors and their wives, wife, whatever. <laughs> they don't have multiple wives, but they have one wife. But they gathered together, and they, uh, for some fellowship and food, of course, were Baptists. we like to eat. And uh, we had a white elephant gift exchange. And um, if you have never participated in a white elephant gift exchange, maybe the kids don't know what I'm talking about, but there'll be like a table with wrapped gifts on it, And when it's, when your number is drawn, everyone has a number. When your number is drawn, then you have a choice. You have two choices. You can either pick a wrapped gift or you can steal someone else's. And so you have those two choices. And that night, uh, my number was drawn and I went forward and at this party they had men's gifts and women's gifts. And I chose a, and it said the man on it. And so I definitely chose that one. And I opened it up and to my surprise, it was a, a cordless, black and decker drill, and I had never seen anything like that there. I was like, yes, I don't have someone's junk, you know? And, so, uh, and the ironic thing is we wanted to buy that very thing for our oldest son, Josiah. By the way, he's already opened that last night, so it's no surprise, and he loves it. But uh, I was so shocked, and Crystal's like, put that under the table. Don't let anybody see that. We don't want anyone to steal it. And so we tried to hide it. But it was one preacher there. His name's Tom Miller. He's preached here before. He's a missionary at uh, University of Colorado there in Boulder. And uh, he was there, and everyone was stealing his gifts. I mean, it didn't matter what he got. They were picking on him and stealing every one of his gifts until there were no more gifts for any of the men. It was only ladies' gifts left. And he's like, well, I'm not picking a ladies' gift. And so he went and stole my gift. Now, the rule was, is if you stole a gift, after a gift's stolen twice, you can't, it can't be stolen again. So I was, you know, Crystal and I were pretty upset about that. We were pretty disappointed. But then, Crystal had already gotten a gift. She actually stole hers, too. So I stole her gift to keep it in the family and then she went and stole Tom's gift, my gift back. <laughs> and it was secure. It was it was not going to leave our family according to the rules. But um I, white elephant gift exchanges are can be a lot of fun. They can be crazy and they can be very funny sometimes. Uh one of the preachers got this um oriental red gown all the way to the floor and he, he 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 promised and was joking that he was going to show up at the candlelight service wearing one of those in his church I don't know if he did but uh, it can be a lot of fun but it can but you when you get a gift you have no idea what you're going to get it's all wrapped up if you choose a wrapped gift so you don't know what it is and you don't know if you're going to get someone's junk or you're going to get something that's actually worthwhile. But even when you get it at a white elephant gift exchange, you can't be sure that you're going to be taken at home that night. I'm so glad that the gift that God has given us that first Christmas is nothing like a white elephant gift exchange. When Jesus came, He revealed the gift of eternal life that God was offering to all mankind. And He revealed it so clearly and He guaranteed it can never be taken away once it's received. And I am so glad, and I treasure that gift this morning, and I want your concentration, your focus, to be on the gift of eternal security this morning. If you are there in John chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 22, but so many times I believe that Christians neglect or don't cherish the value of, of their salvation and the fact that it's eternally secure. And it's eternally secure because of Jesus Christ. In verses 22 through 30, this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, there's Jews that come to Jesus and they accuse him of not being clear of who he is. That are you really the Messiah or are you you not? Are you the Messiah or are you not? And they question His claims whether He's the Savior, and they neglect the salvation that He offers. The truth I want you to walk away with this morning is that Jesus guarantees that His gift of salvation will never be taken away. When Jesus came and He made salvation possible, and it was a huge need for all of mankind, because going back to genesis chapter 3 when adam and eve sinned against the the law or the commandment of god and sin entered into the world death passed upon all men for that all have sinned and so death and suffering entered into the world and there was separation from man and god and god promised in genesis chapter 3 verse 15 to eve That a descendant of yours is going to be born. It's going to be the seed of the woman. And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to defeat what Satan did. And what happened in the garden when man first sinned. And Satan would bruise his heel. But the Savior, the seed of the woman, would crush his head. And that's exactly what happened at the cross. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. The fact that Jesus came to meet the greatest need of every one of us. And that is our sinful condition before God. It had to be a sinless sacrifice, a human sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice. And Jesus came to do all those things. And when he came to to provide that gift of salvation, it wasn't just for a time. He says here and he promises that it's eternally secure. And I want to encourage you to cherish the gift of eternal security that can only come from Jesus Christ. So let's get into our passage of Scripture today. As I talk about cherishing the gift of eternal security, I know that I'm speaking to an audience of a variety of people, and I don't know the hearts of all of you, or even people that might be hearing the recording later on after today, but... If you haven't accepted this gift of salvation, unbelievers, I want to encourage you to receive that gift. Today is the day of salvation. God is not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. 2, Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. And believers, I want to encourage you this day to rejoice in your salvation. And also, to have such a confidence in its security that you're willing to go out and talk to other people about it and share it with others. Let's get into our passage of Scripture today. What does cherishing the gift of eternal security involve? Why do we believe that our salvation can be really eternally secure? It's because we we trust in the promise of Jesus Christ. And He makes a promise here. If you look at verse 22, it says, "...and it was at Jerusalem the feast..." Of the dedication, it was winter and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, Jesus didn't do things by accident, it just didn't happen that way. He did everything, the Bible says, according to the will of God. He did the will of God in everything he did. He was perfectly righteous, he never sinned. And one of the things that he did here is was he went to the temple on a special feast, and in the context or background of this feast, he gave the promise of eternal security. And I think that's significant. It was done on purpose. It wasn't by accident. I want you to consider this. This feast of the dedication is also called Hanukkah. And that began last night at sunset. Actually, this is the first day of Hanukkah, which is kind of... Odd, on Christmas Day. Now, Hanukkah is an eight-day Jewish holiday. It began in 165 B.C. when the temple was cleansed. And since Jesus was a Jew, every day of his human life, well, you know, you know once uh, he was a little bit older, but every day as he was raised, his family and he celebrated Hanukkah. And we see them coming to the Feast of Dedication this day. And it is an eight day celebration. And there's a legend that maybe the light was, you know, was the oil was supplied for eight days. But I don't know if that happened or not. I'm not here to really debate that. But when it was originally, the feast originally began, the Feast of Tabernacles had not taken place for three years because of the persecution, the closing of the temple, no more sacrifices. And so a an eight-day feast began. They celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. And actually, Hanukkah was originally called Second Tabernacles. And so I believe that's why it's an eight-day celebration, but the Jews today have gone away from the Word of God, the Old Testament, and uh, they don't even believe it's true, um, mostly. And they don't even practice that today, and there's not a connection that way. But Jesus, Jesus had that focus. But the point of why Jesus did this, and he promised eternal security in the backdrop of this feast called the Feast of the Dedication, when they rededicated the temple in 165 BC, was that God always keeps his promises. If you want to turn to Daniel chapter 8, God actually foretold in Daniel chapter 8 that Hanukkah would take place. And uh, I've really been blessed by this study in Daniel chapter 8. And we're not going to have time uh, because uh, the children are in here, and I want to uh, uh, be sympathetic with them this morning. Uh, But I do want to look at this, and I challenge you to uh, look at this a little bit further. But Daniel chapter 8, if you will look in verse 11. I'm not going to read all of this. I could. But God came to Daniel in 550 B.C. Okay, 550 B.C., and he foretold 379 years before the event happened that a Greek king would rule over Israel. By the way, that didn't happen in 550 BC. Okay, <laughs> the person in charge was Babylon. All right. And then he foretold uh, Media and uh, the Medes and Persians would take over. But then he describes this he goat, this king of, Gre- of Greece, and that was Alexander the Great. And after he died at a young age. He, he actually foretold that Alexander the Great would die and that his kingdom, his empire, would be divided into four kingdoms. I can't go into all the detail, but one of those kingdoms went to Seleuticus, which is an ancestor of King Antiochus IV that we're going to be looking at. We're only going to be reading the verses about the little horn, and uh, this is a Greek king that was foretold in Daniel chapter 8, verse 11. And it describes this little horn, this king that branched off of the Greek empire. Uh, and it's verse 11. Yea, this king, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. A phrase or a title that was used for God. Okay? He magnified himself even to the status of God. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And a host was given him A mob, an army, was given to him against the daily sacrifice to prohibit the daily sacrifice by reason of the transgression, talking about a transgression that happened in the temple. And it cast down the truth to the ground, the truth of God, the truth of the true worship of God, and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto two thousand three hundred days. Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now many cults have taken this verse, verse 14, and gone in weird directions with it, but if you interpret it literally as 2,300 days, it totally makes sense. And I believe that it was fulfilled um, on that day of Hanukkah. It talks about this king in verse 25. And through the policy of this king, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many, and he shall also stand up against the prince of princes, God, okay, But he shall be broken without hand. Okay. And I just want to go now to history and give you a little bit of history. Okay. That's the Bible and this is history. Okay. In 550 BC, God gave this prophecy and God fulfilled it 369 years later. A foreign Greek king, Antiochus IV, became ruler over Israel. He was a king that ruled from 175 to 164 B.C. And Antiochus, uh, he named himself that. And then he also added a title to his name, Epiphanes, which means God manifest. Okay, He magnified himself to be God. In 171 B.C., Antiochus forbid temple sacrifices. And then in 168 BC, in rage for some rebellion from the Jews, he set up a statue of Zeus, a Greek god, in the temple, and he sacrificed a pig, which was forbidden in the Old Testament law. Then Antiochus forbid the worship, the true worship of God, in all the local synagogues after he did this in Jerusalem. He went through all Israel doing this, and his henchmen killed many Jews who resisted him. A specific Jewish family, the Hasmoneans, and this is all out of the this is not biblical, this is all history, the Jewish historical records. But people who joined them were called the Maccabees. And they were outmanned and outgunned. And God caused Antiochus IV to die by disease when the Parthians went to try to um, unseat him as a king. He went to war with them to the east. And on the way, he died of disease in 164 B.C., not by the hand of man. Uh, uh, The Maccabees, during this time of weakness, they miraculously overcame uh, Antiochus' men. They took back the temple in 165 B.C. They cleansed it. They rededicated it. They relit the lamp, and they observed the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was the 25th day of the Jewish month, Keslev, which takes place between November and December, each year and it was exactly 2300 days after sacrifice ceased in 171 BC so the point of Jesus doing this I believe in the scriptures is not by accident he does it in the backdrop when the people are there at the temple and the menorah is lit and they have this testimony that God kept his promise and he's about to make a promise to his own people that if I give them unto them eternal life, and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. They shall never perish. And you know what? God always keeps His promises always. And that's why we're celebrating Christmas today, because in Galatians chapter four, verse four it says, "But when the fullness of the time was come, when the time was exactly perfect or fulfilled, God sent forth His son, made of a woman, Genesis 3:15 made under the law as He promised a Savior would come and fulfill all righteousness. To redeem them that were under the law. Isaiah 53. That we might receive the adoption of sons. That we might, not even, even though we are not of the bloodline or we're not of a descendant of God, but we would have the legal status of children of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And see, when Jesus promises this in John chapter 10, the reason why we know that we're eternally secure is because God always keeps his promises. He never changes, he's always faithful. Then, second of all, you must trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you look at verse 24, then came the Jews and they encircled Jesus there in the temple under the colonnade of Solomon. And as he met with his disciples there and they said unto him how long dost thou make us to doubt how long literally do you allow our hearts to be lifted up and be held in suspense if you are if thou be the christ the messiah the anointed one the savior tell us plainly and what were they doing there they were saying jesus you have been vague the reason why we rejected you is because you haven't given us enough evidence you've been vague and your claim to be Messiah. And verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in My Father's name, they bear witness of Me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of My sheep, as I said unto you. And I want to just stop there. Here He says, "You, I have told you that I am the Son of God. And did He really do that? Absolutely. John chapter 8, it's probably another page close by. John chapter 8, verse 42 Jesus said unto them on another occasion, If God were your Father, talking to the Jews, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your Father the devil, Jesus said and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus clearly said that he was from the Father, that he was the Son. Verse 58, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham your father, quote-unquote, that you claim, before Abraham was or existed, I am. He was claiming to be the I, the great I am in Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Then took they up stones to cast at Him because they knew exactly what He claimed. But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. Jesus received the profession of Peter that He was the Christ there at Caesarea Philippi. He said over and over that He is the Son of God and why He came into the world. And He also not only declared to be the Son of God, but He demonstrated that to be so. If you look at the six miracles that had taken place in the Gospel of John, and He did many more than these, but the six miracles alone that the Holy Spirit records in the Gospel of John, He turned water into wine. Only God could do that. He healed a nobleman's son and brought him back to life. He made the lame to walk. He multiplied bread and fish to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Close to 15,000 people. And He took that from a meager lunch of a lad. He walked on the Sea of Galilee and He made the blind man to see. The man that was born blind in John chapter 9. He demonstrated over and over that He was the Son of God. And in verse 24, He says, um, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong verse. Verse 25, I told you and you believed not the works that I do in My Father's name. They bear witness of Me. I am the Son of God. I am the eternal God. And this is the point, people. Jesus is the eternal God. And He eternally secures His people, His own sheep. Because He is eternal God and He has no limits. And He does not change. Verse And the point 3 that I want you to walk away with today is not only can you know if you receive the gift of salvation through Christ and His death on the cross and believe on that for yourself that you're eternally secure because He keeps His promises. Because He is God. And then also, and it's kind of implied, but you have to trust in His power to be able to save you as the Son of God. He says in verse 27, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them Out of my Father's hand, I and my Father are one. If you look at verse 27, it says, When a person, when his sheep hear his voice, it says, Jesus says, I am knowing him. And that word know means that I, not that I know about him, but I have a personal relationship with him. And that starts when they hear and follow what I say by faith. When a sinner hears the Word of God, and they respond by faith, and they turn away from their sin, or whatever else they're trusting in that's sinful for salvation, and they trust in Jesus alone for salvation, a new relationship is begun instantaneously. Instantaneously. And actually it's simultaneous with these other things that I'm going to point out as well. It says that not only am I knowing them, but also he says in verse 28, I am giving unto them, it's in the present tense, eternal life. All these verbs are in the present tense. My sheep are hearing my voice and I am knowing them and they are following me and I am giving unto them eternal life. But it doesn't just end with it being instantaneous and it all happening at the same time, it's simultaneous, but it's eternally secure. It's eternally secure. And we receive this eternal life, and it never can be taken away because it is secured by the power of God. And um, there was a little boy that was in the out... In, in the backwoods, and there was some scientists that were looking for a rare flower. And as they were out in the backcountry, the cliffs were just treacherous, and they found this rare flower, but they could not get down to it because the rope was not strong enough to support their weight. But They saw this little lad walking down the trail close to that cliff, and they approached him and said, Would you be willing, if we hold this rope, we'll pay you, we'll lower you down, this uh, into this abyss and you can get this flower that we're trying to get and the boy said "Uh, wait here and he went home and he ran away when he came back he came with this uh, older man and and uh, the scientists and the exploration expedition team came up to him and says so are you willing to do this and and he says yes but he has to hold the rope and they said why because he's my father and I know who He will not let me go. And uh, that's the same thing, it's the same thing, same way it is with our heavenly Father. Once you trust in His Son and His way of salvation and His only way of salvation to save you from your sins and give you the gift of eternal life, it's eternally secure because not only is Jesus holding your hand, not only are you in the hand of Jesus, but Jesus says. In verse 29, but you're also in my Father's hand. In verse 30, I and my Father are one. And he's not saying one person. He's saying one in purpose. One in will. That we will always make sure that you are eternally secure. I want to encourage you this morning to cherish the gift of eternal security. If you haven't received God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to receive it today. Uh, you just have to trust in the promise of, God, of Jesus that He will save you. You have to trust in the person of Jesus that He is who He claimed to be, the Savior, that He is the Son of God and that when He died on the cross, He died not just for your sins, but the sins of the whole world. And all you have to do is place your faith in Him. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says. And then just trust in the power of God to save you, but also to keep you saved. Christians, do you have assurance of your salvation? And if you don't, why not? What are you putting your faith in? Is it Jesus Christ? Or is it Jesus Christ plus something else? If it's anything other than Jesus Christ alone, I understand why you're terrified and you're scared of the future. Because you're putting your faith in something that is not reliable. The only thing that you can put your faith in that's going to be secure and that's never going to change and that is going to always keep His promises is Jesus Christ. And His work on the cross and His promise that if you trust in what He did on the cross to save you, He will save you. Christians, maybe you do have assurance of your salvation, but as you live in your day-to-day life, and maybe even as you're looking into 2017, you're pretty scared. You've got some things going on in your life, that, in your family, your marriage, I don't know what it might be, but you're terrified. And you're not living with much confidence. Why? Why? Are you telling me that the person that guaranteed and secured your salvation, the greatest need in your life, is not able to take care of all the other needs in your life? Wasn't it Jesus that said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? And He was actually speaking to Pharisees that were trusting in their own works for salvation. If you look at the context. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, the food, the drink, the shelter, the dress it shall be added unto you. Are you walking with confidence? And if you're not, you probably are not praying. And you probably have a little testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because people see how controlled you are by this fear. But I want to encourage you, whatever situation you're in today, to cherish the gift of eternal life. Jesus is offering it to you if you haven't received it. And I encourage you to receive it today. You can do that in your pew. You don't have to talk to me. You don't even have to uh, say anything to me. I'd love to know about it. But I encourage all of you to cherish the greatest gift of all time, eternal security. Jesus guaranteed that His gift of salvation will never be taken away. But do you cherish it? Or do you neglect it? Let's cherish it this morning. With every head bow bowed and I closed. I want to encourage you to respond to the Spirit of God as He's worked in your heart. If it's me, don't respond. But if it's the Holy Ghost and He's, He's been working in your heart and you've been convicted and you've been prodded to do something and make a choice in your life, a decision in your life, I encourage you in this moment of response to, to uh, respond to the Lord and His Holy Spirit. Maybe it's salvation. And if that's the case, all you have to do is say, Lord, I realize that You died on the cross for my sin, and I can't save myself. I'm trusting in Jesus and Him alone to save me from my sins. Thank You, Lord, for giving me the greatest gift of all time. And I received that personally by faith this morning. Christian, if you haven't been walking confidently in the Lord, If you haven't been trusting Him in some area of your life, I encourage you, if you can trust Him for your salvation, you can trust Him for anything else. You respond to the Lord. Father, I thank You so much for the gift of eternal life. I know that has not been received by everybody in this world. Not everybody, You say, is a child of God. But they can be if they receive Your Son as their Savior by faith. Not born of the flesh, not born of the will, not born of anything else but of God when they receive Jesus as their personal Savior. I just pray Lord that you would help us to cherish not only our salvation but also the gift of eternal life and the fact that it's eternally secure that it can you've guaranteed it can never be taken away. Help us Lord to just think and meditate and be consumed with this thought that we have something in this world that no one can ever take away from us, eternal life, and help us to go out and share the good news of eternal life with other people this week and this day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.